Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What is up, everybody? I am back. It's good to be home. Ah, breathe it in. I'm here with you. Welcome back, everybody. I'm going to give you a moment. Come into the room. We've given a moment here, and we put the rules in the chat. So go ahead over to the chat and just read those rules. Ask your questions in the Q&A. That's the thing that's going to frustrate you the most. You'll be asking questions in the chat. They're going to get buried. Throw them in the Q&A. You're going to have lots of them today. Welcome back, everybody, to Sell Better's Daily Sales Show. We bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. It's plain, it's simple, it's easy. I'm going to go ahead and launch this first question here. This is how we tailor the conversation to the folks that are in the room. So if you're coming in, be sure and take part in this question. Change your chat settings to everyone and let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. Who's going to be first today? Is it going to be Michigan? It's almost always Michigan. <laughs> India. I'm going India. You're going India? Toronto. Six, 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 six. I love it out there, man. What a great culture. Shout out to California. Uh, Connecticut, what's going on? I, I've never been there, but let's let's meet up. I like Connecticut. It sounds nice anyway. You're here to learn about how to close more deals with effective negotiation strategies. Let me introduce the man, the myth, the legend. Mark Rappin is in the room. These two individuals, John and Mark, these they, they negotiate with their prospects, their buyers, their customers, their existing clients, their wives, their kids. Their kids. Believe it or not, they win. They win these negotiations, and we're going to find out all of their secrets today. So I hope you're ready for that. Uh, before we dive in, though, I want to give a big shout out to our partners. Outreach, been providing sequence building technology for all types of sellers, complete with multi-touch approaches and data and the performance of those sequences. You need this in your life if you've never used this product before, and this is a big one, yo. You probably saw it. I had a blast beating the snot out of a, a keyboard for this incredible campaign that we did to announce this new product that is the probably the, the newest AI that's out right now. Just released yesterday, win.ai. This will take all of the manual data entry that is the bane of your existence out of your life. You need this. We put the link in the chat. Get started for free today. Go get it, yo. We only put the best stuff in here. Let me tell you guys a little bit about what we've got for you. Scan this QR code to go to sellbetter.xyz. The latest actionable tactics from the best salespeople at the top of their game. Tactical deep dives. Explore our YouTube channel for clips. You need this. Go get it. It's constant. It's easy. You can consume it and execute on it right away to get better results. So what you're going to get today, these three things, negotiate on more than price. We have a whole thing with a list of stuff you can negotiate with. Uh, proactive for your negotiation preparation. How do we do this? Where do we go? How, what are we looking for? And then takeaways and insights that you can start putting into play in every single negotiation that you start having. Let's look, take a look at some of the results. Bam. SDR. SDR is negotiating. I wonder how far that goes, yo. Appreciate uh, AEs. No shocker. I knew you'd be here. <laughs> Shout out to the managers. 12%. That's almost where I said it would be. I said 13%. That was my prediction on who would be here for management. Uh, but let's kick it off right here. You guys said SMB deals are fuel for the pipeline. What do we mean when we say this? Mark, kick it off for us. Uh, how do we use this fuel? What are some techniques? You had one that I really loved, and it was the post-offer withdrawal. I want to give these guys time to value. What's this technique? Tell us how it works. Yeah, post-offer withdrawal is basically a technique to get someone to commit early and fast. You make a proposal on price. They say, well, I'm not really sure about it. You come back a day later and say, I actually... I made a mistake. We can't actually offer that. That was the last price that we had. Pricing has gone up. You tell them the new price and they say, hang on, 
I thought we had a deal. We we were talking about the last price, and you say, "Well, I'm sorry, it's it's no longer available." Then they say, "Well, uh, well, we we had a deal, and we want to do it this way." And you then, when you get a sense that they actually want it, you say, "Okay, this is something. If I can get it, I'm I'm going to get in trouble for it. But if I can get it for you, are you willing to move forward? Are you willing to commit?" They say, "Yes, that's the deal that we want. That's what we want to do." You say, "Okay, let me go back and check." You go back and check. You come back. You say, "Fantastic, thank you. We've got a deal. You move it forward." That's the post-offer withdrawal. Let me know in the chat what you think about that. And before I pass it to John, I got to ask this question. Now, John's going to talk a little bit about what he does and what he observes. But here's a, th- a question that's related to what John's going to talk about: When is the soonest that you offer a discount that you're offering your prospect? That's what I want to know, John. Talk to me about SMB pipeline fuel uh, and give us an SMB tactic that you use in your negotiations. Yeah. And I, I want to just jump on what Mark said there briefly. For those of you who might feel uncomfortable with that one, it's the exact thing that our prospects do to us. Mm. Exact thing. They go all the way to the end and they're like, sorry, uh, you know, right before they're about to sign. I know Mark's going to talk about this later. They're going to say, oh, right before, oh, we need to change the terms right at the end. So for those of you who feel like, wait a minute, that's a little on, you know, like they're doing it to us. So as long as you do it in a tactful way, uh, I think it's cool. So as it relates to, you know, this question here, I think the one thing I'll, I'll mention, which I think is, is the opposite of what not to do right? This is, um, there's a bunch of tactics that we're going to get into in general, but the number one thing I say not to do is proactive discount. I think proactive discounting is one of the most pathetic things in sales, period. And it's actually not the rep's fault. It's the manager's fault. It's that whole thing. You've developed some rapport. You've done a good job, whatever it is throughout the sales process. Um, You have the rapport, you have the everything, and the client's probably going to sign in the next couple of weeks or whatever it is. And unless they, I mean, if they brought it up early saying, hey, we need a discount and when they said it early, then it's okay to do this. But if you have not talked about pricing or discounting or any of that stuff up until this point, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're supposed to have a follow-up call in two weeks and all of a sudden you fire off that email today that says, hey, uh, James, I know we said we we're probably going to move forward in a couple of weeks here, but if you sign today, I'll give you a 10% off or 20% off or whatever it is. You've just ruined all of your rapport with me. You've devalued the product, the solution, my perception of the product and solution, and you've devalued our relationship. You've gone from a consultant, good part, you know, whatever, to a blah, sales rep. And now the psychology around this is if I just got a discount without even asking, uh, what happens when I ask? Yeah. You just you just actually forced me to negotiate with you by doing that. So I beg you managers out there for the 12% that are here, stop doing this bullshit this this thing about forcing your reps to to give discounts away when the client hasn't asked for them because it's the fastest way to ruin your credibility. I just came back from Cancun and I can't tell you how many people approached me I'd never met before. And the first thing they said was, my man, you want a discount? I don't even know what they sell yet. And it looks like if you look at some of these results right here, a lot of folks are starting off offering discounts. 28% of the folks that voted, you're starting off with a discount. Stop this immediately. If you need more help, well, you want to talk more about discounts, we can help you. Can I just do a couple of things to get confidence? The reason that happens is because reps don't have confidence in their pricing because they get beat up all the time. What you have to do as a leader is you have to help the reps understand where that pricing comes from so that they can articulate why the price is the way it is. Because most of us are like, oh, it's 20 grand. All right, it's 20 grand. It's like, oh my God, that's expensive when everybody asks. But if you understand what goes behind it, the R&D, the growth projection, all this different stuff, and you give them that ammo, now all of a sudden they have a little more confidence 
confidence and go talk to some customers. Go talk to some existing customers that are getting value out of your solution so you show so you know the value that you bring. You're going to have so much more confidence in delivering price and then you have to practice delivering price. Because most people, when asked how much something is, if it's $10,000, the answer is, well, it's 10000 but it should, you know, depends on dirt or dirt. Like, you just gave me an objection that I didn't even ask for. The answer should be, when it's $10,000, the answer should be, it's $10,000. And then you should shut up and wait for the client to go, holy smokes, that's way more expensive. Okay, now deal with the objection, but don't give them one before they have one. Mark, I see you shaking your head, and I just want to pause for a minute here as we move forward. Put a one in the chat if you're like, what's the difference in what Mark did and offering a discount? Mark, you were after something other than the discount. Put a one in the chat if you're like, what's the difference? I, that's, for me, that's how I felt. You were after a response, and you got that response. So talk about the difference between what we've just discussed here, and then we're going to move on to end of queue techniques. Yeah, the goal with this exercise is really to try and find a deal to that we can close faster right? That, that's the goal that we're trying to get to at the end of this. And so my goal is to get a response faster and get, get a commitment faster. So if I've said and I've offered something at a certain price, what I am not saying, let me be clear, what I am not saying is that I am offering that at a massive discount. I'm just offering it at a proposed price and sure. then coming in later and saying, actually, you know what? That was wrong. That was the old price. The new price is, and then I'm going to label something 20% higher and then they're going to say, whoa, that's 20% more. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I misquoted based on something that I heard. I We recently made price changes, and then we can go and have that conversation. So I'm reverse engineering the discount. It's it's also the other way around, right? I'm not taking my price down. I'm, I'm pushing it up, but then I'm yeah. getting to my original price to begin right. with. And that that's a, that's a great skill. I like that. It's, it doesn't feel deceitful is what I think. Mm -hmm. uh, John, you talked about proactive steps. And at the end of the quarter... You've collected summary emails and responses to your summary emails. You all talked about summary emails before. Uh, yep. Sell better if we could throw that summary email link in the chat for everybody, just in case there's folks in here that have never seen it and they're living under a rock. Mm -hmm. uh, when you when you get this collection of summary emails, you can go back at the end of the quarter and you can hold people accountable for their own timelines. Talk to me about yep. this, man. Yeah, and this is why I think all negotiations, first of all, we have to reframe negotiations that it does start from the minute you start engaging with somebody. It does not start on price. And that's why the discovery is, is the, the deal lives and dies in discovery. Because if you do the right discovery and you find true impact, you understand timeline, you understand, you know, the, the problem that the client is trying to address and that your solution is there, then you document that to make sure you heard it the right way. So you say, Hey, James, thanks for your time. I'm going to briefly summarize what I was able to give any gain from our conversation. Could you email me back to the Noah's all accurate, right? And in there you go, Current situations is timelines is priorities of this impact if timeline is not met is this whatever right so you have all that stuff and decision criteria prioritized and hopefully pricing isn't number one now I have that and I go through all every person I talk to right so I talk to you James and then I have a different conversation with Mark then I have a different but I'm summarizing all of that stuff and I'm bringing that to the table with every single conversation so hey Mark you know before we get started here I wanted to share some of the things I talked to James about here's what he sees as the priorities there's could you you know are those the same as yours what's different here whatever then I summarize that then later on the fir first of all after your first second third after your first meeting your second third fourth fifth meeting the summary email should always be number one on the agenda you should always start the conversation off with this and this, write this down everybody write this question down this is your first question after your first meeting second third fourth meeting you should start with what's changed mm. so hey is this stuff still all accurate cool 
what's changed since our last conversation. And by the way, I don't care if it was just last week that we had another conversation because things are changing so fast right now. It's, it's bananas. So now I got all that stuff. And if you've confirmed all that, so by the way, if they do not respond to you and say, yes, John, that's all accurate to confirm the email, I would be very nervous. Because if you and I just had this conversation, I then told you I was going to summarize it. And then 15 minutes after our call, I summarized it with what you said, not what I said. All of a sudden, and you don't respond, something's off. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, people above the power line, decision makers have no problem responding to that. People below the power line do because they, they don't want to be held accountable. So if I have that and I have it confirmed, well, now when you ghost me, hey, uh, what's changed? What is this still your priorities? Is this still your timeline? And now that gives you the opportunity to go above their head if you need to. Hey, uh, so I'm just looking at you two on the screen right now just to, to play yeah. this out. So say Mark and I are talking and I have summary email, summary email, and James, you're the decision maker, but I haven't gotten to you yet. When Mark ghosts me and there's real impact if you don't do this and there's a real timeline there, like that's the question you have to ask is people ask, what's the timeline? When do you want to see this go live? You also have to ask the question, what happens if we don't go live on that date? What is the impact to your business if we do not go live on that date? If you do not have a real answer to that question, you do not have a deal, quite frankly. I would not forecast that. But if you have that and Mark ghosts, then I can go to you, James, and be like, hey, James, and I usually give Mark a chance. Hey, Mark, I haven't heard back. I hope everything's okay. Um, but if I don't hear back from you in the next 24 hours, I'm going to go ahead and give James a call here because of your timeline, your priorities. Hey, James. Um, I've been working with Mark to address your whatever, man, he's been great to work with, um, but I haven't heard from him. I hope everything's okay, because you do want to put that in there. Um, but based on your timeline and your priorities, I was wondering if I could talk to you briefly to see if this was still on track. You're yeah. still going to piss Mark off, but at least you've done that in a very tactful and thoughtful way. It's true. I don't know. Mark's got pretty thick skin. Mark, when we talked about this, you quoted John and you said, having a big fat pipeline does solve most of our problems. But for those that did not do the prospecting piece, this affects how direct they have to be. Tell me more about this. Educate everybody on when and where they need to be more direct and why. So my preference is always to be more direct. But sometimes when I say be direct, people think that means be aggressive. Yes, There's a difference between those two things, right? So I can be direct and polite at the same time. So I'm not going to say, hey, listen, are we doing this or not? Because that's really aggressive. Like, that's way too much. But if I say, hey, are we moving forward or are we putting this on the back burner? Then that's way, it's still direct, but it's way more polite. So please don't confuse being direct with being aggressive. Also, please don't confuse being kind with being generous. There's a big difference between those th things, right? So I can still be kind. I can still be polite. I can still be courteous. But I can also be at the same time direct in those conversations where you have those conversations is key. I can be more direct with someone that I've gone through the whole sales cycle with. And at the end of the sales cycle, say, based on the summary email, the same as what John was saying, are we doing this or not? Yeah. Right. You, you've you've told me why this is important to you. You've told me what happens to your business if you don't do this. Are we doing it or not? And if you're not doing it, are you comfortable with the decision that you've made based on what you've told me is going to happen to your business? Because they may not have even thought of it. That's me being very direct. Now, if I'm not at that point, if I'm if I don't have a big fat pipeline, if I don't have anything supporting me, maybe I want to be a little bit softer in my approach, but still be as direct. 
So that's the difference there. I think that's really key for people to pick up on. It's good. And you know, I never I never really made that juxtaposition between kind and generous, right? Like the, those, those two things might not always look the same either. I always said, you know, being direct and being aggressive was different. That's obvious to me. Mark, when we talked about this, you had four other techniques for your negotiation. I want to give this to you and just allow you to break these down very quickly. And then John, I can't wait to hear your feedback on these. I've never even heard of some of these. <laughs> Yeah, so we talked about the post offer squeeze, which we gave a demonstration of earlier, which is really just reverse engineering that discount to be able to get the commitment so that we can move forward. Tapering is something where we manage our concessions. So in proper concession management strategy, our goal is to try and not give all of our concessions right away because we want to manage scarcity throughout our negotiation because we know that the more scarce that we make something, then the perceived value of that thing goes up. So if I give something away right away, that reduces the perceived value of that thing because there is Discounting. scarcity attached Excuse to me. that thing. And then now what we're trying to do is taper down those concessions. So if I'm saying, okay, price is 100 or whatever, let's just say it's a per seat of whatever, then my next concession isn't going to be 90 or 80 or whatever it's going to be 95.3 then it's going to be 93.7 then it's going to be 91.8 and I'm, I'm going to be tapering down so the incremental concession that i give tapers down because what i'm currently trying to do with that is make you believe that with every request that you have there is a series of diminishing returns mm. I'm not saying to you at the end, this is the lowest I can go because that's going to paint me into a corner. What I'm saying to you by not saying that is we're getting to the end here, pal. Like there's nothing really left after this. Now, what they may not necessarily know is that I have another 20 points in my back pocket that I can pull out <laughs> at any moment in time. But I don't want them to know that. And I'm also not going to tell that to them. I'm also not going to say this is the lowest we can go. So I deal with that by tapering my yeah. concessions that's really that's good that's good time delay is something that you talked about and i think this is something that i struggle with well how, what what is a time delay where does it belong i feel like it belongs in all types of places throughout your sales cycle but if used inappropriately you could lose a deal very fast misusing time delay explain this for me time delay is your biggest friend when you can understand the impact to the business Okay. To further what John said earlier if i understand that there is a big impact to your business and you're not doing what you need to do um, I'm going to delay it. I'm going to hold out until you really, really, really need to make a decision because this is based on your timeline, not mine. So mm -hmm. I'm going to hold out for as long as I can until you really need to make a decision. Then you're going to be desperate. Then you're going to say, oh my God, if we don't get this thing in place immediately, we're going to lose everything. Then I'm going to yeah. say, wonderful, let's get a deal in place. So just yeah. utilizing time to your advantage. The other side, the buying side is doing this when you say things like, oh, I have to meet a certain deadline. I have to meet a certain quota. I have to get quarterly results. I have something that I have to hit. They're going to time you out. You're doing the opposite just based on whatever their priorities are. Yeah. Yeah. And I notice that it's their priority. What's a nibble? Talk to me about a nibble. I'm going to talk to you about how to defend against a nibble. Okay. A What's nibble is something that the buying side does just before you're about to get a deal. And we have this, uh, I'm sure you have this saying as well, but we have the saying on the buying side of things where there's commission breath. We can smell when yeah. you really want to sail because it's on your breath. You're really, really desperate. And so if I know that you're really, really desperate, on a Monday, I'm going to tell you, hey, by the way, James, I'm going to probably send a PO to you for this thing 
uh, on Friday afternoon. Just hang out. Uh, I'm for sure it's going to come. Don't stress out too much about it. I mean, you basically got this thing in the bag. I, I know that we haven't signed a contract yet, but the PO is probably going to come on Friday afternoon. Then I'm going to wait, and you're not going to hear from me until Friday at about 1.30 p.m. Then I'm going to say to you, hey, one more thing. I know I said I was going to send a PO to you, but we need to change this one little thing before I can do that. And then I squeak out just a little bit more value pick whatever, squeak out a little bit more value out of you. You say yes, because you're so desperate for the sale and I've made you wait. We finally sign on the dotted line. I send you the PO. The way to defend against that is you say no. You use <laughs> what John said in his summary email and you say, hey, what changed? Based on the last conversation that we had, we were here, here, and here. Unfortunately, based on my understanding of what we've already agreed to, we've already met what you need. I don't think we can give this to you unless, and then you ask for something different, right? We could do that if you could do X for me, and then you can move that deal forward. I love this. John, when we talked about uh, negotiations outside of price, so now we've talked about discounting, we've given you a lot of tactics, uh, You know, let us know what you think about those techniques. John, what is your feedback for the nibble and the time delay? I know you've done all of these things instinctively for years, uh, but how do you... How do you feel about these using them in the negotiation sense? I, I think, again, it all comes down to their best interest versus your best interest. You know, somebody asked me, John, how much, how hard can you push? You say it comes the end of the month, end of the quarter, end of the year, right, to get your deal. Well, how hard can you push? And it is in direct proportion to how much it is in your best interest versus their best interest. If it is in their best interest, then you can and you should push as hard as you want. You should hold the line. You've gotten there and you, you've you earned it, right? And it's in their best interest, which is why you can hold your ground. Now, ideally, you have a big fat pipeline, so you can walk away if you really want to. Um, but if it's in your best interest, because you got to hit the end of the month, end of the quarter, end of the year, you're just a jackass sales rep. And so, you know, I think a lot of these are are good. You know, here's what I'll I'll chime in on as far as um, I forget what that second one was. It was uh, 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 the, uh, wait, the, the tapering or the time delay, the tapering. Right. Yeah, so yeah. this is why it's so important to propose the actual solution that is the best fit for the client and not mm -hmm. try to lowball it with less features and functions. I think you should add everything. So here is the entire package based on what you told me. Here is the entire thing. Don't be scared of price because that is going to give you leverage to take things away. So if you're going to give a discount, the best leverage you have is to take things away from them, not just drop your pants on the discount. So for instance, be like, oh, okay, so you want a 20% discount on that. Okay, cool. Well, um, I had added the, um, the, the, the reinforcement stuff and a few extra licenses here and that type of thing. So I'm just going to, I'm going to take those out. I can get to that 20%, but it, I'm going to have to shave this off. I'm going to have to shave that off. I'm going to shave this off. And then it's like, okay, so you have this, like, whoa, whoa, we need that. Well, okay. So then you have to pay for that. Like that, that shit ain't free. And so, and I think that's where, so, and this is what I actually learned from Mark a while back, which is procurement. And Mark, I think we should, we should highlight this. It is not their job to beat the crap out of us. I want to demystify this a little bit. Most sales reps are scared to death of procurement because they think it's their only job to beat the crap out of us and get the cheapest price possible. That is not the case. It is their job to get the most value from the solution. If they are the ones who rip the uh, solution apart, 
And by the time they sign, it's not what the champion had thought. And that thing implemented, therefore, doesn't do what they want it to do or, or at the level that it does. The procurement person is actually on the hook for that. They're responsible for that. It's not like they just like, okay, I got the best price. It's not my problem anymore. It's like, you just got the best price because you beat the crap out of that rep. And now the solution is half of what we thought it was. So it's better to bring procurement in early because they can actually be your friend through this process as opposed to your enemy. Because most procurement, somebody dumps something on their desk and says, get this in by the end of the month with no context, they're going to cross every T, dot every I and save their company money. But if you involve them, that's why I like taking things away. It's like, okay, cool. Like I, I can take that out. I can take this out. I can do, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, no, because we, we map this the way that you said, right? So if you're going to ask for a discount, I can, I'm going to have to take some shit away. That's right. And this is a better technique. Uh, I, I'm throwing the flag, John. We got to move forward here. Yep, Mark, Mark gave us a great list of stuff. Uh, do me a favor, put in the chat the word less or the word more. Do you think you can be less or more flexible with small to medium deals rather than enterprise deals? Is it more flexible? Is it less flexible? And we're going to talk about it. Uh, Mark, you gave me a list of things that people can negotiate that have absolutely zero to do with price itself. Break these down. How are they valuable? How do they add fuel to our negotiation fire, so to speak? It's based on what's valuable to you. I think so many sales teams and salespeople get wrapped up in the idea that price is everything because it determines our success a lot of time in the negotiation. And it's not, right? You could value a lot of things. You could value the use of your customer's logo or testimonials or referrals. You could value payment terms, especially now because the cost of capital is bananas, right? So we want to get paid faster. You could value limitation of liability, right? We want to put a cap on the liability that we have available to the marketplace. You could value scope. You could value a whole bunch of different things. And just as a heads up, you've got a Slack conversation yeah, you just in the middle of your presentation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and so all of those things are true, but pick any anything. It doesn't really matter what it is. What matters is what's valuable to you and what might be valuable to the counterparty right? Because something that you value as really, really low may not necessarily be really low to the counterparty, maybe really, really high, which means if they value it more, you can start trading things, right? So if I know that you value efficiency and effectiveness of the service more than you value price, I'm going to say, well, we can get to you know five nines uptime on this particular software if we can get x on those things that we asked for from you so it really does depend on a wide variety of things i mean you could have 50 60 things on this list this is a very very short list of things that you could be doing this is yeah. uh, go, go ahead john uh here's a tip for everybody here's my negotiation training in less than two minutes literally brainstorm everybody right now go back after this and brainstorm every single thing that your clients ask of you throughout the entire sales process these are all the mm -hmm. gives right they want information they want discounts they want proposals they want sc time they want uh more time to make a decision they want all this stuff literally brainstorm everything you can imagine as long as you can actually give it to them then prioritize that stuff to mark's point easy to give away hard to give away and this is not perception wide like this is actually perception wide this is not physically hard to give away like i can give away a discount that's easy a discount should be relatively difficult to give away so you line that up say it's 20 things one to 20. then you flip it over what are all the gets what do you want right this is decision process timeline all bant medic stuff whatever you want to put in there design sign contract testimonial those type of things line that up early to late Early on in the sales process, I want a 15-minute qual call. Late, I want a signed contract testimonial, and then you match them up. 
So you got one to 20, one to 20. When somebody asks for a five, I ask for a five in return. And the difference with this, and we score deals. I gave away a one to five and a six. I got a two, a four and a seven. That score 12 to 13 tells me objectively how healthy the deal is. And the key to making it quid pro quo, ver uh, I'm sorry, rule of reciprocity versus quid pro quo. Quid pro quo is a lot of negotiations, which is I'll do this for you if you do that for me. That gets contentious and that's not healthy. It's necessary sometimes. Look, I can't give you that discount unless you give me that, unless you're going to sign the contract. But again, by that time we're doing this. Reciprocity yep. is, it's, a, it's actually a psychological thing. When somebody asks for something, they feel obligated to give you something in return. And if you ask for it right then and there at the same level, it's actually quite easy for them to give you. So what you want to do to connect the dots is say, hey, I'm thrilled to give you what you're asking for. In order for me to give you exactly what you need, this is what I need in return from you. And I'll give one gem and then I'll shut up, which is say, say you have not gotten access to, to power yet, right? Say you need to get access to power. Hold on to that proposal for dear in life, because that is your chance to get access to power. So now somebody says, hey, John, could you send me over a proposal? Hey, I'm thrilled to, James. You know, you had said earlier that Mark and Chris and these other people were involved in the decision-making process. Can I get about five to 10 minutes on each one of their calendars so I can ask them a few quick questions to make sure that this proposal is exactly what you're looking for? Now you push back and you're like, you know what, John, I'm the guy. Everything goes through me. Every good you have any questions, let me know. All right. Good for you. You're the guy. Secondary get. Um, okay. So when do you want to schedule a call so I can deliver this proposal to you, James, and the other people involved and walk you through it? So I can have all, so you, all, so you have all the information you need to make an informed, timely decision. When do you want to schedule that? Yeah. Now you push back on me again and say, you know what, John, send it over to me. We'll get back to you. It's not that I'm not going to give you that proposal. It's just now I'm keeping score. I, I think I might not send that proposal. I might send a video yeah. walkthrough of that yeah. proposal. You can do that. That's actually the default. That the default is if you cannot get to power, then you do a you do a video screen of your proposal and you actually talk to power. So if again here, Mark, you're on the bottom. James, you're on the top. Mark, you're my main point of contact. James, I'm going to do a video. Hey, Mark, instead of just sending you over the PDF, I just put together a little video here. By the way, if you want to send this up to James, feel free. And James, I just want to let you know if you're watching this. Thank you so much. Mark's been great to work with throughout. Kiss his ass a little bit, and then walk through it. And now you're presenting in front of the the executive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking for them to ask me, okay, great. This looks awesome. Will you send it to me so I can sign it? <laughs> That's mm -hmm. after right there. I'm going to ask this question right here, and then we're going to answer the flexibility question. But this is the question that's for you in front of you right now. How much data do you provide during the negotiation stage? And then we're going to move forward. John, I was surprised to see a good mix of more and less flexibility. I want to go to Mark first, and then I want to go to you. Mark, do you feel like flexibility should be present in small and medium deals or do you feel like you should be more more less flexible like more more static and less you know more like a rock no i'm not moving on this, <laughs> this is going to sound like it's such a shitty consultant answer yeah, it, it depends <laughs> it, like it like it depends on the context of the negotiation i view each negotiation as unique and so if if i know that i'm going into this negotiation with very little leverage and very like a shitty pipeline i'm automatically going to become more flexible if I've got a really great pipeline and I have a lot of leverage, I become less flexible in that negotiation. So it really does depend on the context of the situation that we're going into. Also, like uh, the size of the deal, right? I yeah. like I might I might be less uh, flexible with a smaller deal and more flexible with a larger deal, and that's just the nature of managing enterprise, mid-sized market, mid market, and SMB. John. What was your answer? I loved the way you put this because I didn't think of it this way when I asked the question. You said less. Tell me why. 
I forget how I said it, but um, if you want to remind <laughs> me that, no, I think it's less because it's volume oriented. This is transactional. SMB is transactional. Like you got to get in and out. The more time you waste on a SMB deal, the less like, first of all, you know, it's, it becomes unprofitable, right? And I have a kind of a benchmark. Like if you get a $5,000 ACV or, or below, if you, if you can't get that closed in two calls, two half hour calls, you're, you're effectively losing money on this. And this is where reps need to become, you know, understand math right? Which is if you're going to bring in it, like, think about your OTE, like say you're probably making 70, 80 grand and your OTE, you know, all in your buck 50 or something like that with commissions and all this other stuff, divide that out into an hourly rate and how, and, and then put that into how much time you're spending on that deal. And then talk about all the other resources you're bringing in to close that deal. You better keep that client for like three, four, five years. If you're going to spend six, seven meetings talking to an SMB deal, that's trying to close and they're probably going to churn anyways. So as a business owner, I look at it and I say, if you can't close that in two op or you know two calls, get the hell out of that call. And so for me, but you know, to Mark's point, it does depend. Um, and this is also why pipeline is so critical because if you have a big fat pipeline, you can be. And by the way, that confidence comes across. If you are desperate and you and they can smell commission breath, they're going to beat the crap out of you. They're going to get whatever they want. But if you come in with confidence, and again, I call it uh, confidence versus rude, right? You, there's there's a big difference in being ego and confidence. Big difference. Fine line, big difference. Yeah. Rude or confidence comes from when you like you know you're the right solution, you know that you're the selected vendor, you know you solve their problem, and you have options to walk away. Then you can walk in and be super unflexible because you know you've given them a good deal. Now you don't want to screw them and overprice it and all that other stuff. That's you you being a douche. But you know, on the other hand, if you have no pipeline, you have no confidence in, in your product or solution, you're gonna give up. You're gonna you know fold anytime somebody asks you for a discount. So that's why I think it does depend. But if you are if you are too flexible with SMB deals, eventually your CFO in your company is going to start looking at your deals, and you probably aren't going to be around for all that much longer if every deal you bring in is that unprofitable. So. Yeah, you're, you're bringing our reputation down, man. People are talking about this stuff in closed doors. I can't sell 50K deals to one team that knows this other team I sold to for 30. That's probably not going to work out long term. Let's look at some of this data right here. It's interesting to me that 42% of the people think they sell, they use some data, but not enough. But 48% of the voters say they're constantly sharing data. Those are the two front runners right there. Uh, and good for the folks that are using data. Mark, when we talked about this, you said there were some certain ways to perceive data. And you talked about things like anecdotal data. Uh, break these down for us and tell us why these are important and how people can use them. And then we'll uh, we'll move on to some other things. Yeah, data is power. I mean, the more data I have, the more power I have in a negotiation. And everyone can do their research and go online and look at publicly made statements from a CEO, or they can go onto the financial statements, or they can do all of that kind of stuff. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. I think you should do that. But the best information comes directly from the person that you're negotiating with. And it comes from your ability to ask really great questions to get that information from them. And it doesn't have to be, you know, peer reviewed, third party, best data ever. It just could be non-public information that they haven't really shared with anyone else that they're not really aware of. I was in a negotiation, for example, uh, coaching a negotiation team a couple of weeks ago where the team, what, there was a chemical sales team. They were selling chemicals into um, another organization. And through their list of questions coming out of COVID-19, what they discovered was that the company that they were selling into had to shut down one of its two factories because that factory wasn't able to get the supply for the raw input chemical from another producer. 
what they found was that they could actually sell them a similar chemical to get that factory up and running. That factory produced annually hundreds of millions of dollars worth of product, and they made a $50 million sale in one conversation because they asked the question and got the data. If they hadn't gotten the data, they would have made the smaller sale and it would have been fine. It just wouldn't have been as good as it was prior to getting that information. So data is everything. And the better data that I get, the better I'm informed, the easier it is for me to sell you stuff. Yeah. JB, full circle, when we talked about this, when this show kicked off, when this episode kicked off, you mentioned that summary email that you send after every initial call and you pull all the data from those summary calls and then use them to your advantage later in these deals. Uh Uh, What kind of data do you use for this? I mean, I'm going to circle around impact data. Like again, what's the impact? What's the problem? How big is this problem? And I'll give you an example of how I screwed up. Um, So I was negotiating a deal one time and I always, there's a blog post out there. If if we can find it, it's called sell to the 20%, Mm -hmm. which is my fundamental belief that no matter, you know, I don't care what product or service you own, you only use 10 10 to 20% of functionality, whatever that is. So therefore that's how I believe people buy. And so I hunt for the 20%. That's going to differentiate. That's going to align priorities and everything else. But the problem was, is I don't, I didn't used to go deep enough on that 20%. So example, I was negotiating with somebody and they, and, and I found out because they asked for negotiation training and I was like, great, well, why negotiation training? Like I, you know, I've been with you for a while. I haven't heard anything of this. And they said, discounting was the problem. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Well, I jumped right in on discounting. Oh, let me show you. So out of all the shit that I could talk about, let me share with you how I can impact discounting. Right. And, and it was great. I thought I, I nailed it. Right. But I, I totally missed the mark because I forgot to understand the impact of the discount. Mm-hmm. What I should have said was very quick, easily, hey, um, so what's the average discount right now? It's like 20%. Oh, okay. And this was a big company. I was like, and what's the net new revenue target for this year? A uh, hundred million. Oh, so we're talking about a, about a $20, $20 million problem. Is that, is that what we're talking about here? Because if I can get you to agree that this is a $20 million problem, you and I are not having a conversation about price. No. We are not. Because I could charge you $10 million if I could convince you that I'm going to save you $20 million, right? Yeah. But so so that's where later on when I got beat up on price, I was like, yeah, but, you know, darter, 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 right? And and I'm like, and, you know, for me, just selling negotiation training, it's always funny negotiating negotiations training. I'm like, if I give you a discount, why the hell would you buy from me? But the problem with it is like, I didn't uncover the real impact. And if I had that data of 20 million, it wouldn't, it, I don't even think it would have come up because I would have kept hammering that on the email. Like, is this, do you still agree that this is a $20 million problem we're trying to solve here? $20 million problem. And that's, and I would have built my entire use case around that. And I didn't, I just said discounting. And so I didn't find the impact. I didn't get the data that I should have that quantifiable enough to, for me to use, to go back to them and push back and say, cause this is, you know, this is a Keenan thing. Like I'm a little confused. You know what I mean? Like I, I get that summary email and you confirm it and then you change your mind later on. And then I get, I literally get to say, uh, James, I'm a little confused here. Like I, I understand price is an issue. But you had said earlier that your main priorities for this were X, Y, and Z. The impact of this was Y. And $20 million, dollars, right? So now you're telling me, look, and, and if priorities have changed, I get that. The priorities always change. But can we just get back on a call here for about 10 minutes so we can reset expectations? Because I built my entire proposal off of what you told me here. Yeah. And if that data is wrong, then shame on me for not uncovering it the right way. Yeah, indeed. Mark, I want to park it for a second. 
because I was well, a comment here that I just happened to catch in my bubble. It says, I love this panel. There's so much energy. And that reminded me of a conversation we had while we were talking about this show about personalities. Mark, mm-hmm. how much mirroring do you do when you're in negotiations with your buyers or your buying committee to the personalities that are in the room? Are you authentically Mark all the time? Or like me, do you struggle to like tone that shit down? <laughs> I usually am pretty good about mirroring the energy level of the person that I am negotiating with. Yeah. And I am really conscious of the fact that I don't want to enter into depression territory. Mm. And that's really, really important because sometimes the conversations that you have with whomever is buying your stuff, that's their seventh difficult conversation that day or eighth difficult conversation that day. And they're dragging all of the negative energy into that room. So if I notice that they're down, I'm consciously not going to be down. I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to try and lift the energy. I'll crack a few jokes. I'll make them happy. I want them to engage with me. But if I know that this person is more analytical and they're more focused on the numbers, I'm going to become that person to help them. If they are more emotional, I'm going to become that person to help them. But I really don't want to move into like bad mood territory. That's sure. really, really important to me. John, John one minute on personalities i'm limiting you to a minute my man <laughs> yep i'll keep it to this crystal nose period i definitely adjust crystalnose.com it's not a drug site it tells me your disc profile you're a high d you're a low c whatever it is i do need to mirror that i'm no i'm always my authentic self always but i also know i have to adjust because i run people over sometimes and if i come in all energetic and you're you know because some people like pictures and colors and graphs you know others like data right so if you don't know that and you're presenting a powerpoint presentation with a bunch of pretty pictures and colors to somebody who likes numbers you're they're not going to pay attention and vice versa right so i do need to see if i can figure out how to skip the line a little bit and if i don't have a tool like crystal knows i'm going to ask my champion ideally that i have and by the way you have to identify what a champion is and we can go on a whole thing on that but i only got a minute and i'm gonna have ask my champion like james if you're my champion and i gotta go talk to mark who's now in procurement i'm gonna ask you james how what what does mark like to see does he like to see data what does he need to see from me and how should i approach this because you've worked with him in the past i have no idea how he reacts so give me some guidance here yeah i love it and i'm gonna prompt everybody to throw any questions you have for john and mark in the q a and i'm gonna give you this quote right here the first sale is showing that the status quo is not okay and we do this as early as possible so this is the conversation you need to be having with your groups when you get the buying committee in the room with your individual buyers once you reach power the status quo is what you're up against more often than not more deals are lost to the status quo than competition or pricing i also want to give time for a final thought shout out to jerry springer uh, <laughs> uh awesome final thought mark if you had one thing everybody should come away with from this show when it comes to their negotiations what would it be condition the counterparty based on what's impactful for them for them Okay. So it's not about you. Everything is not about you. That's a difficult thing for all sellers to swallow. Go ahead and swallow it now. John, final thought other than it's not about you. <laughs> I think it's, a, you know, expectation setting is the key to life. Uh, I, I think if you set realist expectations and then align those expectations, then you can hold people accountable for those expectations. But if you do not set those expectations, then you are trying to hold somebody accountable to stuff that uh, you know you haven't actually set and i think that's rude that's the definition between rude and, and uh you know direct if you will so d- expectations of pricing it, it's just like a it's just like a performance review from a manager if i sit in my manager if i get a performance review and i am shocked by what's in that performance review 
then my manager is an ass, right? My, I should know what's going to be in my performance review. It's the same thing with pricing. It's the same thing with all this stuff. If I get to the end of this and you show me a price and it is like, holy smokes, like what is this? Shame on you. You yeah. should know the objections. You should know the approach. You should have a plan for your negotiations. And if you do not actually have a plan for your negotiations and set the right expectations, you're going to get eaten alive. That's true. Mark, where can people connect with you, buddy? Easiest place is negotiations.ninja. That's our website or on LinkedIn. Yeah, we just dropped his LinkedIn in the chat. Go connect with Mark. You will never regret connecting with this man and learning more about negotiations from him. JB, tell him about Instagram. <laughs> yep, you can hit me up on Instagram or check out my new website here with all my cool stuff freeways. But uh, it's at John M. Barrows. I give away free consulting all, there, all day long. You just hit me up with questions. LinkedIn, please don't try to connect with me on LinkedIn. I apologize. I've reached the 30,000 limit and it's wicked annoying. Um, but uh, Instagram does not have a limit and I will answer any question at any time. Amazing. This man will actually talk to you like a human being on the gram. So go connect with JB on Instagram, John M. Barrows, and go ahead and connect with us as a team. Sellbetter.xyz. We are constantly putting out sell better content to help you. You got it. Sell better. You're going to get a survey right after this ends. I want you guys to tell us what you want to see more of. What worked for you? What was amazing? Put a one in the chat if this has been useful for you and you're still in the room with us. Go ahead and connect with us on social and learn all you can because it's up to you. Invest in yourself. It's nobody's job to help you sell better. That responsibility lies with you. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other. We'll talk to you soon.